I was thinking about the words of that that song, that that chorus. Our sins, our sins are there are many, but His mercy is more. And and I just thought, what a what a great song uh, to sing today as we've taken communion together, and 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 we're reminded, we're reminded today of our brokenness, right? What a great song to sing today, uh, to lift up and be reminded that we are we are people who are ever in process, right? That we're not finished, we're not perfect, we're not there, right? Paul said that, right? I'm not perfect. I'll get there one day, but we're not there yet. We're all in process. That although our sins are many, his grace and his mercy is more. Now, now, as I think about that, my question is, my question is, do we, do we know that or do, we, or do we live in that? Do we know it or do we live in it? Do we know it cognitively or do we live in it in our hearts? Do we know it as some kind of fact that is, that is written down in, in Scripture or do we know it from experience? Have we been there to a place? Have we been there in a moment? Have we been there in a... In a in a weekend or in a, in a setting where, where it came face to face with the fact that this is me and my brokenness and yet God's mercy is evermore. You know, I've been thinking the past few weeks about rearview mirrors. Pastor Scott may have trouble getting home today. Um, I was thinking about rearview mirrors and, um, have you ever had one break in your car? You ever just been driving down the road and all of a sudden it just kind of falls on your dash and you're like, okay, what do I do now? And for a moment, for a moment when that happens, it disorients you, doesn't it? For a moment, you're like, what do I do now? How do I manage? How do I move? How do I drive? How do I, how do I, I'm trying to, we're so, we're so used to looking in the rearview mirror as a point of reference, Right? as a reminder of what we've been through. It's a point of reference to remind us what was in the past. It's a point of reference to help us see what's coming up that we may not be aware of. Those rearview mirrors are pretty important. We take them for granted until we don't have one, right? And do you ever notice the difference between your rearview mirror and your windshield. Your windshield is quite larger than the rearview mirror, isn't it? It's almost as if we're supposed to spend more time looking forward than looking backwards. There's value in the rearview mirror. There's value in remembering. There's, there's value in remembering all the sin that we've walked through. There's value in the rearview mirror and where we've come from. There's value in history. There's value in legacy to remember, to remind ourselves. But that front windshield and where we're going and the vision that we have for the future and where we want to go is what? 10, 15 times bigger than the rearview mirror. How many of us would say we've spent way too much time trying to drive the car of our life by looking in the past? We've got to focus on the future. 
We have to focus on where we're going. We have to focus on what God wants for us. We have to focus on the fact that there is a promise, that there is hope, that there is victory, that there is something that God desires of us in the future. The rearview mirror is helpful to remember and remind us where we came from. So the, remember those potholes we just avoided. There may be some more up the road. Remember the, the challenges that were back there. There may be some more up the road. Remember the good times that were behind us. Let's celebrate those up the road. Remember where we came from. Remember who we are. Don't, don't Don't forget your last name. Don't forget your home address. Don't forget where you've been. Because as you move forward and go forward in this big vision of of the front windshield that God has for you, it's important to remember where you've been. It's important to remember the past. Not to focus on it, but just to check in on it every now and then. To remind yourself, that where you are came from where you've been. We're in a series called Legacy. And uh, we're asking this question, will my life leave a legacy of faith? Will my life leave a legacy of faith? And as I, as I live my life, as I look at my life, am I living my life in such a way that I will leave a legacy of faith in God through Christ Will, it be, will my life be known for something? Will I have something to pass on to my family? Will I have something that inspires other people because of my faith, because of the way I've lived it? And for three weeks, we looked at, we looked at um, legacy from that, from that individual point of view. What about me? What about my life? How am I oriented? Today, what I want to do is I want to take that and I just want to stay with the topic and stay with the theme, but just kind of shift the perspective just a little bit, just a little change in, in point of view. And so today I'm, I'm simply asking, using the same premise, a, a, a new question, will our church leave a legacy of faith? Will our church leave a legacy of faith? Will we as a church, what will we be known for? Will we leave a legacy of faith? If we were to shut down today, today, last service, done, don't come back next week. That's not what I'm saying, by the way. But what if, what if, would the neighborhood miss us? Would the community miss us? Now, you might miss some other people, but you're all going to land somewhere else, right? Right? You're all going to land somewhere else and reconnect on an individual basis, but collectively as a whole, would the community miss us, First Alliance? If I stopped in at Country Fair down the road and asked the workers, that church down there, right, in the eyeline of Interchange Road in Zimmerly, what do you know about that church? I wonder what they would say. Are we leaving a legacy collectively as a congregation a legacy of faith to be passed on to the next generation? Are we living in community with each other? Are we, are we serving our neighbors? Are we gathering in worship? Are we praying in unity? Are we loving each other and training each other? 
And are we doing it in ways that will leave a real legacy of faith? What will be said of us in years to come? And I would say to date, it's pretty good. We've been faithful. We've been prayerful. We've been spirit-led. We've been sacrificial. We've been generous. We've been led by risk-takers. And people from all different walks of life come and find this to be home. We have a rich history and, and a rich tradition. We have stories to tell. And in a very real sense, we've been handed a legacy to steward and to build upon. You didn't get here on your own. You didn't get here by accident. You didn't stick here because of what, what you did. It was through community. It was through connections. It was through prayer. It was through unity. It was through love. It was through worship. It was through uh, uh, Bible study. And you've connected and you've made friends. You began here, some of you in your faith, and you found family. And that was built on a legacy that was left for you by the people that went before us. And so for the people that come behind us, will they find the same thing? We've been handed, we've been handed a legacy to steward for the next generation. To steward and to build upon. If you've been a part of First Alliance uh, for a while, you may remember uh, a corporate tagline that we used to have back in the, in the uh, uh, 90s and, and into the 2000s. You remember that? First Alliance Church is a place to begin. Oh, how we've forgotten. First Alliance is a church to, is a place to begin, become, and belong. It was a tagline that we wrote on a lot of different uh, letterhead and, and paraphernalia that, that went out. First Alliance Church, a place to begin, to become, and belong. Just the other day, I received a, a very encouraging email from Pastor Rick. Uh, he recalled himself, FAC, being a place where he and Kathy and the family could begin, become, and belong. He does send his warmest greetings. The tagline that was being developed was, 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 was to, to share the idea that, that we wanted people to feel something as they walked in. We wanted them to feel like this was a place for them. We wanted them to feel like that they could start here when they didn't have a start. That they could find home here when they didn't have a home. And that tagline inspired us in how we developed our ministries and how we presented ourselves, not only with each other, but with the community. I've been thinking a lot about that over the past couple of weeks as well. And, and with that, that glance in the rearview mirror, if you will, and with one simple tweak, I'm asking if FAC can steward our legacy and grow into a place in the future where people can begin, belong, and believe. Can we steward the legacy that was handed to us 
to continue to invest in this church, to make it a place where people can begin, belong, and believe. Over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on each of those different areas. Today, we're going to start, appropriately so, at the beginning. Is this a place where people can begin? How do we steward that? In Luke chapter 24, uh, we catch a glimpse of what it looks like to begin. We have this story of of two people traveling a road to to a city called Emmaus. And it it was early morning on Resurrection Day. It was the first Easter Sunday. The ladies had had already gone to the tomb with their spices to prepare the body, but the body wasn't there. The disciples had, had already ran ahead to see if the body was there. The body wasn't there. All of those events had been had already taken place. They, the, the angel had come and spoken to them. They saw the angel. They heard the message. The body wasn't there. And they were trying to figure out, what do we do now? What is going on? And as they wrestled with that throughout the day and throughout the afternoon and throughout the evening, two two other disciples, two other followers of Jesus were walking down the road towards a city called Emmaus. And they were chatting with each other, trying to to, uh, make sense of what was going on. The days were, were confusing. The reports of, of what happened to Jesus were alarming. And the message seemed unreal. They were in a season, they were in a season of religious tension already. They were already in a season of political oppression. They were already in a time of where, where, where they heard this, 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 this spiritual instruction from this man named Jesus and it struck them in their heart because it wasn't as, as, as anything that they've ever heard before. It sounded like what they grew up with, but it was a little different and they had to wrap their brain around it and they understood in a fresh and new and deep way who God was for them. They were wrestling with all of this at the same time. And not to mention they they lived in a Greco-Roman culture that was pretty licentious. They were wrestling with culture. They were wrestling with community. They were wrestling with politics. They were wrestling with, with their own religion and belief system. They were wrestling with the teachings of this man named Jesus of who is this guy? I don't understand it all, but something's striking at me. And they were wrestling with the events that happened that evening into the morning. And now the tomb was empty and they didn't know what was going. And they were walking together, probably, probably in disbelief, talking about those events. And then Jesus. You ever have those moments in your life? You ever have those moments when, when you're going through something that, that's pretty important, when you're going through something that's pretty upsetting, when you're going through something that's pretty confusing? You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. You're trying to find the best advice you can from the friends around you. You're trying to understand and read pop culture. You're on, you're on uh, uh, social media. You're trying to figure out what does everybody else think so that I can figure out what I think, right? Did you ever do that? You get on, you get on the Facebooker. You get on the Instagrams, right? You put up the, put up the reels. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just... What? <laughs> Snapgram chat, right? 
You got the Twitter that you're scrolling, X now or something, I don't know, threads, I don't know. Trying to figure it out, right? Trying to figure it out. You're going through, you're trying everything. And then Jesus. Do you ever have that moment? And then Jesus. What's it say he did? That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking, discussed together, watch verse 15. Jesus himself drew near. Jesus himself drew near. And he went with them. And he went with them. While they were talking about all that was going on, while they were trying to make sense of that, while they were trying to, to, to meet out what in the world was going on, Jesus. Jesus just kind of saddled up next to them along the road. Hey, what's going on? What are you talking about? Right? What's going on? What are you talking about? Why are you looking so sad? Why are you looking so downcast? Jesus drew near to them and he walked with them. In the middle of their confusion, in the middle of their disbelief, in the middle of, in the middle of them not understanding what in the world was going on, Jesus drew near to them. In a culture, in a time, and in a community where everyone around them was telling a different story and a confusing story and sometimes a story that didn't make sense. Jesus drew near to them. So he says to them, what's, what's, what's going on? What are you talking about? Like he doesn't know, right? Think about your life. When Jesus saddles up next to you, hey, what's going on? It's like, don't you know? Don't you see? How can you be so disconnected? Reminds me of the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve first sinned and they go and they hid from God. And God's like, hey, where are you? Like he doesn't know. He knows what's going on. I wonder if he just wants the conversation. I wonder if in the conversation there's something about us bringing it into reality for ourselves. And so they start to talk to him about it. They start, they start telling him about everything that was going on, all the, all the happenings of the weekend, all the, the great, this great teacher that he was, right? Verse, verse uh, 18, if you've got this in your Bible, um, they, they kind of answered him like, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Like, dude, what's your problem? Where have you been? You've been under a rock? What, how do you not know what's going on? And this is what, he's, what they're saying to him. And he said to them, what things? This is awesome, classic Jesus. This is so cool. Like Jesus is playing comedian right here, right? Hey, what's going on? Really? What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Look, look at what, how they're describing him. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we had hoped 
what we had hoped. You tell your story to your friend, hey, can you pray for me? This is what's going on in my world. This is what's going on in my life. I'm confused. I don't understand. I hear all these stories about this guy named Jesus. I hear your church talking about it. I just want you to know, that's where I hope. And for some of us, we come out on the other side of confusion and disbelief, and we come out on the other side of hard, hard times, and you know what happened? We didn't get the answer we wanted. We didn't get the answer we wanted, and we turn to Jesus, and we turn to God in prayer, and we go, hey, I had hoped. I had hoped that you were going to do something. I had hoped that you were going to show up. I had hoped that this is the way the outcome was going to be. They told their story of the weekend. They told their story of what was going on, and they looked at them, and they said, but we had hoped. They go on to talk about how they heard about the empty tomb, the message from the angel. But when the others went there, they didn't see him. You see that in verse 24? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But, and I like, I do like how the ESV kind of uh, uses, uh, translates the phrase this way, but him they did not see. But him they did not see. They heard the stories. They saw the angel. But him they did not see. Jesus looks at them and he says, oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. Now, let's get this straight. Jesus isn't putting them down. He's not condemning their heart. He's not making fun of them. In fact, it's, it's not a dismissive comment at all. He's revealing the lack, their lack of seeing and understanding. That phrase, oh foolish one, and, and taken in context means uh, it's, it's the lack of their seeing and understanding. One author says it, it calls to, it's a call to their failure to orient themselves around Jesus' teachings. It's been a failure for them to orient themselves around Jesus' teachings. That's why he said it. Failure to orient themselves around Jesus' teachings. Do you notice how Luke in this pericope is touching on the idea of seeing and understanding? Luke is, Luke is just dropping a few things in there, just, just poking at it a little bit. Verse 16 says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 23, they had even seen a vision of angels. Verse 24, but him they did not see. Verse 25, Jesus says, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. What's interesting to me is Back in verse 16, it says, but their eyes were kept from seeing and recognizing, is that they could see everything that was going on around them. They could see everything they thought they knew about Jesus, but they couldn't see Jesus. They could see everything they knew about Jesus, but they couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't recognize him. The scholar said, the the biblical New Testament scholar said, it calls to the failure to orient themselves around Jesus' teaching. 
Listen, we can, we can have all the great teaching in the world, but if we don't orient ourselves around it, we're never going to see Jesus. We're never going to know him. A couple of weeks ago, remember the, the, the one uh, sentence or, or quote that we've been using about legacy? What did the people in Hebrews do? They trusted God, they trusted God's promises, and they directed their lives towards it, right? Luke's the same thing. The, the, the scholars say they didn't recognize Jesus because they didn't orient their lives around his teaching. They heard his teaching. They knew his teaching. They could recount word for word what happened at the Passover meal. They could recount word for word what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. They could recount all of the events of that night, of that afternoon, of that evening. It had just happened. They could, re- they could recount all of that. They could tell of his mighty works and his mighty deeds, right? But they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't see him. They knew everything, but they didn't know him. They could see everything they thought they knew about Jesus, but they couldn't see Jesus themselves. Do you ever find yourself there? You ever find yourself like, like you could quote like 700 verses, but you don't know what to do in this next moment? Do you know friends and family that know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus? They can tell you about articles and findings from, from around the world about Christianity, about faith, about the church. They can, they can share the latest reports, the latest statistics, the latest data points on church growth, on, on deconstruction that's happening in the faith. In fact, they, a lot of them, they even, know how to, they even know how to make the church work better. Just ask them, they'll tell you. They share links and reels and videos of people who are calculating the moment when Christ will return. Here's what I know about that. I was told in 1988 Christ was going to return in 1988 because some guy wrote a book on why Jesus is going to return in 1988. It's 2023, isn't it? Guess when I gave up on the book of 1988? 1989. That's when I quit. And then he came out with, no, 89 reasons why Christ will return in 1989. I'm like, bro, I'm done. See, we can know a lot about Jesus. But unless we know Jesus, we won't recognize him. We won't see him. We, we go through our weeks, we go through our lives, wondering, God, where are you? God, if I could only see you. God, if I could t- uh, touch you and sense you. Jesus, where are you in this moment in our country? I'm like... I don't know, I think he's right here. And I think he's over here. And I think he's over there working out his his priorities and his practices in the lives of people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Where is Jesus? He is in us and with us and moving through us. 
If we can't see him, there's one of two problems. Either we're not looking or the people that are claiming to have him don't recognize him either. What legacy are we going to leave as a church? I would hope that the legacy that we leave as a church is that, is that this is a place where we don't just know about Jesus, we know him. And it's a place where people can begin in their journey. It's a starting point. It's a place to begin in their faith. He said, he said, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. As they drew near to the, to the village, Jesus was like, I think I'm going to go on. And they're like, no, 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 stay here, stay here, stay here. Have dinner with us. Keep teaching us. Keep telling us. So they went in. They went in and they had dinner together. And when he was at the table, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. I think there's three things that we can do to steward FAC to be a place where people can begin so that they can know Jesus. And the first is this, we begin in community. We begin in community. They walked together down the road. Do you notice that? Like one little phrase, one little thing. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going down the road. They were living in community with each other. They were wrestling in community with each other. They had a friendship. They had a connection. There was somebody else that they could lean on and talk to about what was going on in their lives. When we are trying to begin in our faith or begin again in our faith, let me tell you, we can't do it alone. We have to do it in community. We have to do it with friends. We have to do it with people we trust. They were wrestling with the things of life and the things of this world, and they needed to do it together. And what did Jesus do in that moment? He drew near to them. So Jesus puts himself in the middle of their community, in the middle of their friendship, in the middle of their connection, in the middle of their small group, in the middle of their life group, in the middle of their goings and comings around town. Jesus was in the middle, in the middle of their confusion, not only by themselves, collectively together, Jesus drew near to them. And what did he do? He walked with them. If we're going to leave a legacy that FAC can be a place where people can begin, we have to begin in community. Are we connected to each other? Are there people that we share life with? Now, some people might be like, I don't know. I'm not real big into small groups. Can I call your bluff this morning? Would that be okay? Am I allowed to do that? Can I call people's bluff? I see you in community, in the community. I see you at country fair, sitting with your three other buddies, drinking your coffee. I see you at McDonald's with your buddies. I go to Panera every now and then and work on my messages. Same five group, same five guys every morning sitting down together, right? In fact, 
In fact, I saw, I saw over winter, I saw a group of seven guys, retired men, sitting in Panera with their laptops open and a camera on the laptop so that they could, they could video with their buddy in Florida at Panera. Retired men. Don't tell me men don't like to be in groups. Don't tell me technology, you can't figure it out. Come on. I see you. What would happen if that was a place where Jesus showed up? First Alliance, we need to be a place where we live in community with each other. We also need to be a place where we begin with the scriptures. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus said, beginning, beginning with Moses, Luke wrote that beginning with Moses, Jesus went back and explained it all again. We need to be in a community. We need to be with each other. We need to be searching and examining the scriptures, not to know about him, but to know him. Not to know about the sin that I have and the mercy of his forgiveness, but to know it on a personal level. We can sing about that in that song, or we can sing it because we've experienced it when we sing that song. And those are two different things. The third thing is we need to begin at a table. Did you notice that, that when Jesus stepped into the house to continue to meet with them and they went to the table, did you notice how Jesus moved from guest to host? It's not his house. But what did he do? He took over the meal, didn't he? He said, "Go." He said, oh, we're going to sit down and have a meal? Good, watch this. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it. Sound familiar? Like maybe just 12 hours ago, he did that, or three days, let me rephrase that, three days and 12 hours ago maybe, he did that at the Passover meal on Good Friday. Oh, I've seen, it's like one of the, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this one, Right? Maybe like the feeding of the 5,000, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and handed it out. When we are in, there's something about communion that draws us together in community with the scriptures that we then become known to each other. And it's in those moments we begin to recognize who Jesus is. There's something powerful, not only about the communion table, there's something powerful about what the... uh, we now call, we would now call, as we study the scriptures, table fellowship. It's all the instances in scripture where Jesus sits down with people at a table. Right? You know why it's powerful? Because it is a sign of acceptance. It's a sign that I am welcoming you into my circle of friends. I am welcoming you into my circle of community. The story of the table is not about food when you read it in the New Testament. It's about inclusion of people. What legacy will First Alliance leave if we would build it on the table? A place where we come and remember and we do this in remembrance of him and a place where we open the table in our communities, at our restaurants, at our homes and invite people 
You don't have all the answers. You have all kinds of confusion. That's okay. That's okay. So do we. So do we. Just come and sit at the table today. We'll talk about it together. We'll search the scriptures together, and we will live a life of inclusion together with those who are around us. We've been handed a legacy to steward. And I pray that we would steward that well moving forward. That we would not be a church who just knows about Jesus, but that we would be a church that knows Jesus. And we live out his character, and we live out his values, and we live out his principles and his priorities in our lives, in community with others, through the scriptures, and at the table. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning we ask that you would help us to see the people in our lives that we need to uh, walk in community with. Maybe some of our friends and family are, are wrestling with with confusion and doubt. They're wrestling with, with um, hard questions, good questions, really hard questions. And I pray that, that the goal of our interaction would not be to, to maybe learn more about Jesus, but Lord, to find you. And as we learn about you, it would be applied to our life so that we could see you. That's when we recognize you. So God, help us to orient our lives, to direct our lives around your teaching. Not just to know it, but to live it in who we are. It's hard, it's messy, it's difficult. So God, give us strength and give us courage. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.